Moms are great. Mother's Day is a nightmare. With the world beginning to reopen, this may be our busiest Mother's Day yet. Yelp for Restaurants is here to help you execute a flawless service. Contactless table management, reservation management, and digital waitlisting tools ensure your diners don't have to wait around in long lines in an era of social distancing. Empower your guests to add themselves to your digital waitlist before they even leave home. Provide accurate wait times and automatically notify them right before their table is ready. Let's get back to business better than ever. Listeners of this podcast get three months of free access to waitlist and $300 of free monthly advertising credits. Visit restaurants.yelp.com forward slash Mother's Day to learn more. Now here we go. Wouldn't it be amazing if you could get $20 wines at $5? $20 wholesale bottles under $10 at 50% off or more? So... Those deals exist every day. Welcome to Full Comp, a show offering insight into the hospitality industry, featuring restaurateurs, thought leaders, and innovators. Served up on the house. Creating and maintaining a great and profitable wine program at my restaurant proved an impossible task. Folks spend their entire lives working to understand the intricacies of wine, and I don't even drink wine. I know I'm not alone, and as we begin the process of reopening, I wanted to bring in an expert to offer insight into best practices. Greg Martellato is the guy. He's got his own winery, he's got his own direct-to-consumer wine business, and he sells and works with some of the best restaurants in California. Today, he unpacks how to conceptualize and execute a great and profitable wine program. Wine always has been this cultural product that is about a place and people who come together annually to produce this fermented grape juice. And that's something that is perhaps genetically encoded in my family because my grandparents are from southern Italy and Puglia. And so when I ended up in the wine business, not because that was the family direction, but rather because it was a vocation, a volition to be in the business, it dawned on me that maybe this was part of the grand plan from the beginning. And so I started out selling wine on the streets of San Diego, doing the what we call dragging the bag and carrying bottles of wine to restaurants and retail establishments in San Diego up to LA and SoCal, the Willie Loman traveling salesman of sorts. And I had no clue. I just had, as I said, this desire to know more about this product. And I was wholly overeducated with a degree in biology from Stanford and a master's degree in public health with the intention to go to medical school. And I thought, no, I'll throw it all away so I can work on commission selling wine door to door. (laughs) And so that's what I did. And I did it for, I don't know, a year or two. And this was after having been fired from most of the other jobs I had earlier in my life. And so I really just realized I needed to form my own business. And so I did. And that became an import distribution company called One Vine Wines in 2005. And shortly thereafter, I befriended some folks in Central Coast and Santa Barbara wine region who took me under their wing to teach me about winemaking. And that's when I launched the Martellotto 
branded wine from Santa Barbara and also Paso Robles. That was around 2007. And a couple of years after that, I said, wow, the world is in um, disarray as a result of the Great Recession. I've got thousands of cases of wine and my distributors are folding. My restaurant clients are closing and many of the other retailers are suffering. And there's just blood in the streets in terms of the discounts and closeouts in the marketplace. So I said, why don't I just put a website up and start selling direct, which we're allowed to do in California. And I quickly found that what people were buying in 2009 was super high-end wines, the first growth Bordeaux and wines that had big brand recognition. I was getting clients calling me from Hong Kong and China and Europe, and I was just like shocked. So fast forward a few years, the business evolved where I was had always been wearing that supplier hat of producer, whereby I was making my own branded wines, doing private labels or exclusive white label wines for a handful of grocery and other retail clients, and doing the import distribution business. 2015, I started a partnership with this wine app called Vivino, and they were figuring out the transition to online business and mobile apps, and they took off. And it's now generally considered the number one wine app in the world with something like 60 million downloads. And at the time, it was not a very good app. It was clunky at best. But the idea was incredible, such that you could take a picture of a bottle of wine and it could perhaps recognize that label and tell you something about that wine based on what other people's preferences or opinions or ratings were. And you could keep your own online log of seller of sorts to share on social of what you drank when and where. In exchange, you gave your data. They leveraged that by sending you an email saying, hey, we know you took a picture of a Sancerre or a Bordeaux Rouge or something else. And so do you want to buy one? And it turned out a lot of people said yes. But since Vivino is an app company without any licensing, they had to partner with people like BigHammerWines.com because we had all the licenses in place. And that became a very successful business. And then in 2018, we separated and the light had gone off in my head. And I said, wow, I'm not just a wine supplier. I'm a wine marketer. And I started spending more time doing the digital marketing. And now we have a team of almost 10 people who are full-time digital marketing, selling wine online at wherever we can. It's absolutely incredible to me. And I've got to believe that through the online sales, you're able to look at that data and analyze trends, right? The ebbs and flows of customer demand for certain profiles. And I'm curious, in this moment, what are you seeing? What is it that people are craving and purchasing? So in terms of trends, there's definitely more and better conversations about greenwashing or sustainable wines. People may not be able to pronounce biodynamics or Rudolf Steiner's effect on growing grapes around the world, but they know something about what it means to be organic or sustainable or green or aware of the environment. I think that's not going away. I think that's only going to pick up. And if we look to Europe, where wine is more pervasive part of the culture, you recognize that they're very interested in green, organic, lighter packaging, all these different qualities of the wine and food. And I think we're going to continue to see that. So those are a couple things. 
we definitely went through a period where there was a slew of wine geeks in this back to balance of sort of, hey, Robert Parker was the exponent of these big, oaky, extracted, higher alcohol fruit bombs. There's some truth in the generalization, but it's not the whole truth. And so there was some reaction to that, this pendulum swinging back to lower alcohol wines below 12.5%, perhaps, and wines that are more crunchy, which by which I mean more acidic, and they have more of that lip-smacking quality to them. Lastly, I'd just say we've definitely seen those uh, people hanging their hat on the natural wine movement. I'm using air quotes when I say natural because all wine is technically natural. It comes from grapes. The natural wine movement is one in which producers and some marketers are selling wines that are unadulterated. They are just grapes, fermented grapes, and they would market these wines as somehow Perhaps you can't actually say this because the TTB prohibits you making any health claims associated with alcohol, but they would argue that those wines are better for you because they're lower in sugar. There's not added sugar. There's not added chemicals, et cetera, as you might find in commercial winemaking or grocery store branded wine. You don't operate restaurants, but you work with a lot of people that do. And I'd be curious if you were to start your own restaurant tomorrow. Can you kind of step-by-step me through how you would create the wine program for that restaurant? There's a lot of weight to carry around with the perception of wine, and it need not be complicated. I think you can make a really nice wine list with a dozen wines. I think you could have as few as a half dozen wines available by the glass for most restaurants and another half dozen as sort of bottle selections. And what does that look like? You got some sparkling, some bubbly wine, which these days is typically a Prosecco or a Cava or a Cremant de Limoux. Those are kind of those under $10 price points for BTG type bubbles. And then you'd have a couple whites, an aromatic white wine, which wouldn't have any oak. So like a Sauvignon Blanc, could be a Pinot Grigio, it could be a Riesling. Albarino, something more eclectic if you wanted to go there, and then probably a Chardonnay with a touch of oak. And then on the red wines, you get sort of the light, medium, and full-bodied options, and that's six. You know, on the light side, you'd have, say, a Pinot Noir. You might have a medium-bodied wine, which could be a Grenache or a Merlot or a Petit Chateau Bordeaux blend. And then you've got probably a Cabernet with a little more oak and body to it. And that's six wines by the glass, all of which are readily available. And then it just depends on how you want to manage that. It comes down to that equation of time, money, and quality. Those are the three variables. How much time and money do you want to put into the wine program? And where do you want it? Do you want something that's Wine Spectator Grand Award? Or do you want something that's really lean and easy to manage and maybe flexible, fun, and changing. I hear a lot of funny people, restaurateurs, they're just like, I print the wine list once. And oftentimes when I dig a little bit, they don't even print their own wine list. They've delegated it to one of the large distributors to do the actual printing, which I think is a shame. You wouldn't do that with your food menu. You wouldn't hand your food menu to Cisco or U.S. Foods. Here, just print my menu and I'll just heat the food up that you deliver in a box. Like, that's not a restaurant. 
Well, I guess there are some restaurants like that. But Well, but let's talk about that. And I agree with you that there's a big conversation to have around the acquisition of wine by restaurants. Most of us don't have a SOM on staff. And so we are pushed in one direction or another by these liquor distributors. But if we wanted to do a great job and when we wanted to do a great job on their own, what are best practices? So again, I think it depends on what's the individual's self-efficacy on wine. That's why I sort of brought up that anxiety question. Does someone have the desire to learn more about wine and knowing that there's more than just the large distributor? One of my ongoing laments is that these days, about 70% of all the distribution of wines is in the hands of six companies. And those six companies represent, when you're talking about the number of brands or wines available in the U.S., let alone the world, they represent maybe 15% of all brands. So you realize you're missing out on 85% of the wines available to you as a buyer in the U.S., again, let alone the import side, if you're only working with those largest distributors in your market. So there's a lot to be learned. And if you do some research, it's not hard. Go to a restaurant in your area that you like that has an interesting or compelling or eclectic wine selection. You think, oh, these are cool wines I might like to know more about. Speak to the buyer, speak to the owner and say, hey, who are you using for wines? Because you've got some really cool stuff I haven't seen before. And then you get a referral to maybe a small family importer or a medium-sized distributor that has a more diverse portfolio of wines that aren't ubiquitous. I think there's some philosophical questions in terms of answering, who do you want to be and where do you want to go? This is something that's always just flummoxed me. It's puzzled me to no end. And there was quite a bit of soul searching and navel gazing when I was living in San Francisco some years back that the center of the locavore movement, the farm to table, buy local dining scene was dominated by European wines. San Francisco down the street from so many great wine regions, from not just Napa, Sonoma, Mendocino, but also Lodi and Central Coast, Monterey, Santa Barbara, and Paso, all within a few hours. And the Tony restaurants were focused on French and Italian wines. Working in the restaurant industry, there's always been plenty to worry about. And over the last year, cleanliness has been front and center in our minds and in the minds of our guests. Your world-class team and world-class patrons deserve world-class protection. Microband 24 Professional kills 99% of viruses and bacteria. It doesn't just sanitize and stop. It keeps killing bacteria for 24 hours, even when the surfaces in your restaurant are touched multiple times. And the EPA has approved Microband 24 sanitizing spray is effective at killing the virus that causes COVID-19. So you can achieve your most confident clean, touch after touch. Well, in pricing, it doesn't really play a role in the quality of wine, right? It's just indicative of certain types. So when you're looking to buy wine, it's not really about price, right? It's about profile. Look, there's a lot of great wines at really fair prices. And if you're a savvy buyer and you're paying attention to deals, so the large distributors, they call them discos. They're on discount, right? They're closeout or end of vintage. Right now, it's the spring. And this is something that 
I'm always hawkish about every spring as I start looking at last year's rosé or white wines that the distributors want to clear out to make way for the new vintage. And if you're buying high-quality rosé wines or white wines, they should be fine in year two, even year three. And so I often am buying pallets and large quantities of those types of wines this time of year at rock bottom and even below original cost of goods from importers and distributors that just need to move it off their books. So I think you have to know what you're looking for. You have to have some experience at tasting. And if you're not that person or you're just like, I'd rather drink beer than wine, then you want to have someone who's in charge of that, who's not just maybe the wine buyer with the sommelier certificate, but really someone who understands the market. And there's a lot of great examples. I mean, I have a friend who's a master sommelier who worked in Vegas, top-notch hotels for many years, and he was able to sell such high-end wines like Gaia by the glass that he'd buy those wines by the pallet because he was moving a good amount of volume of these high-end wines. They'd give him secondary wines like Gavi or a Chardonnay from Italy, random wines that didn't necessarily have a big demand, and they'd almost give it to him for a dollar a bottle. That's something you go show your boss and you're like, look, I got this for a dollar and sold it for $12 a glass. That's the savvy that I would say if you've got a place that moves volume and or you're looking to capitalize on how to make money through the wine program, well, you've got to hire someone if you don't know how to do it yourself who actually understands the business of wine. What a great alley-oop. The next thing I wanted to talk about was, you know, retail has become really prevalent throughout the pandemic. And a big part of a restaurant's revenue strategy now is cocktails to go and their wine program can become a huge part of that. And I could see that more than the cocktails to go really having a huge impact at margin on a restaurant's profitability. And so I know you have a lot of ideas about this and about how wine can become part of a bigger retail strategy for restaurants. And I was hoping you could talk about that a little. Yeah. I mean, I have clients, not just in California, but elsewhere, restaurant clients who sell seven plus figures. They're selling millions of dollars a year in retail wine. And they're leveraging the allocations they get, particularly on high-end wines, and the specialty discounts, particularly around wines that they can get by the glass, et cetera. And it's not a secret to people in the industry what they're doing. And it's not even necessarily problematic. It depends on what the rules are in your area. But I know, for instance, in California, a lot of people assume that there's no retail sales. Like, I'm an on-premise service only. Well, there's actually some fine lines. And unless you have specific ABC conditions, about not being able to sell any retail, oftentimes you can sell some retail as long as it's not a majority of your sales. So it's something that's really worth diving into with your local ABC office to see whether or not you can take it. Of course, right now, many states are, they've totally allowed to go sales. And I think the people who are in a great position through the pandemic, they've just stepped on the gas because they already had a system to collect data and do the marketing. And so I really think if restaurants haven't figured it out as a result of the pandemic, they're going to figure out that data is king. And that doesn't just apply to social media companies like Facebook. 
it applies to neighborhood businesses, including your restaurant. And so what is data? Well, here's what we do in our online business is one of the reasons why we accelerated in the online space. Because people that come to our website, they're served a cookie, right? There's pixel data that we know where their IP is. We know how to go back and retarget them, whether they're on social or serve them a Google ad. If they make an order with us, we have all this data about them and how to retarget them. So we can text them, we can mail them something. If you think about that compared to the majority of the interactions you would have in a restaurant or a brick and mortar retail store, people come in, they pick up something, they swipe their card and they walk out. You have no data. So that's kind of my biggest recommendation is for anybody running a business, if you're not collecting consumer data, you're going to be out of business because you have to be able to remarket to them. You have to be able to make other offers to them. So things that I have seen that I could recommend is as people are coming back to restaurants, a lot of restaurants are still at half staff or still limited in capacity. Give people something to do. Put a QR code at the check-in stand. Say, hey, scan me. They scan it. They open up a landing page on your website and says, hey, want to know about Greg's wine finds? Greg tastes 500 wines a week or a month or whatever the number is. And he has insider deals available to our VIP customers. Join our wine club now and get six bottles of wine for $6. If you know what you're doing, you could find six bottles of wine for a dollar a bottle. And you could give them something amazing that costs you nothing. And now you've acquired a customer and they're going to be like, wow, I got awesome wine from my local restaurant. And I had no idea that they even had a wine club or a wine program or a wine retail channel. And that's the thing is restaurants fail to realize if they're good and you've got return clientele and you're consistent, you already have buy-in from the clients. You have something very powerful that many other people would love to have, meaning you already have a relationship with them and they already trust you. They already know who you are. So why would you sell them just one meal for them to come into or to take away? Why wouldn't you also offer them your specialty wine picks? And I would encourage people to just dig in a little bit. See if you can get a package license, a retail to-go license in your wife's name, your child's name, your cousin's name, and see if those are our channels. If your restaurant license got conditions that prohibit you from selling to go. So that's just being creative. Uh, but there's definitely opportunities in not just retail wine or liquor, but leveraging the relationship to be able to sell and offer people things they might want and need. Something else that you brought up in previous conversations that we've had is wine is something that is almost universally seen as valuable. And the fact that you could encourage someone to buy like a large format meal, right? That would cost them $100, $125. And in exchange, you throw in a bottle of wine that costs you $1, $2, $3. In the industry, there just aren't that many things that you can give away where the raw cost is that low. There's no associated labor. And there's this universal perception of value. I think that's a follow on to what I was saying about how do you succeed and win and maximize margin with your wine program, it's really about understanding the marketplace. And there are a handful of people, I mean, we've written a little bit about this at our One Vine Wines website blog, but you got to think about brands change hands all the time. 
a winery goes from one distributor to another. And you often read about it. You're seeing it in the press or Wine Spectator or one of these other wine business magazines that is saying such and such. Well, every time you see a transition like that, my ears go up and yours should too. Be like, huh, that distributor is probably closing out all that inventory at or below cost (laughs) because they don't care about the brand anymore and they're getting rid of it. And so that's an idea to think about. I mentioned the rosé and the transition of the season. So a lot of Cru Classe or quality rosés from Provence and and even the U.S. can certainly drink very well. I mean, it's well known and understood that high-quality rosé from Tavel or elsewhere in southern France like Bandol definitely live several years. So you don't have to drink those wines within the 12-month kind of pressure to market. Lower-quality wines, perhaps. But wouldn't it be amazing if you could get $20 wines at $5, $20 wholesale bottles under $10 at 50% off or more? And it turns out we see those every day. We buy wines that are in transition from one distributor importer to another, that are turning the vintage, that are distressed. I'll give you another example. Right now, we're working on a deal to move 12,000 cases of Central Coast Cabernet Sauvignon that was earmarked for one of the major airlines. This wine is online at $25 a bottle. It's a quality Central Coast Cabernet. We're obviously going to be selling it in volume and mostly looking to sell it overseas, but we're going to be selling it at under $4 a bottle. So those deals exist every day. And Again, like maybe as a local restaurateur, you're like, well, I couldn't get access to that because I'm not buying a container or even a pallet. But I don't think you have to. If you're asking the right questions and knocking on the right doors. And you know, another term that some of the large distributors use that you can use is go ask the distributors for the IR list. Do you have an IR list? Do you have a monthly IR list? That's their inventory reduction list. They all have them. It's an industry podcast. And at the end of every episode, I like to give the guests an opportunity to speak directly to the audience. Do you have words of advice or inspiration that you would like to offer? I really admire the people that go into the restaurant business to share food. I think it's the common ground that we have on the wine side, and it's desire to bring people together and share food and drink. And so that's the common bond, and that's the reason we do what we do. And it's not easy. It's a big challenge, and we get hit upside the head probably more than we'd like to. But that's the noble pursuit. That's why we do what we do. And hopefully there's some joy in doing that. And I know it's going to be a challenging next year or more as things come back to normal. But I'm bullish that the roaring 20s is going to be even greater than the 100 years ago. That's Greg Martellotto. For more on Greg's company, go to martellotto.com. If you want to tell us your story, hear previous episodes, or check out our other content, go to restaurants.yelp.com forward slash full comp. Thank you so much for listening to the show. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, please leave us a review. A special thanks to Yelp for helping us spread the word to the whole hospitality community. I'm Josh Kopel. You've been listening to Full Comp.